morning again. I'm so grateful that you're here today, and I want to let you know that um, we have been praying for you over the last several days, praying that God would be exalted through our time and worship together this morning. We hope that that's been the case for you already. And as we jump into Scripture together, I hope that'll continue. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24 in just a minute, really the end of chapter Luke chapter 23 and the beginning of chapter 24. But before we start, I want to uh, I want to start today in a little bit different way. Back as early as probably the fourth century or so, uh, on days like today, when Christians gathered to celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday, there was a, an exchange that would often take place between. Christians. When one person said, Christ is risen, the other would respond, he is risen indeed. So we're going to start this year, this tradition, so that in 2020, Easter Sunday, when you come back and you're here and I say Christ is risen, we won't have to have this whole explanation. You'll just respond with gusto, he is risen indeed. But because you've not done it before, maybe, this, you know, there needed to be a little bit of explanation about why was he saying Christ is risen and waiting for the response that nobody gave. So I want you to respond with, he is risen indeed. When I say Christ is risen, we're going to say it a couple of times. It's okay to have joy, to show emotion, to have excitement about being here today because the tomb is empty. Amen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Let's say it three times. Christ is risen. Praise God. Over the last several Sundays leading up to Easter Sunday, we have been in a study in the Gospel of Luke walking through stories and events that take place in Luke's gospel, looking at things that kind of lead up to the resurrection and the empty tomb. Over the last several days in this room, we had stations around the walls of this room, and some of you came and were able to participate in that time, and each station led you through kind of a, a, a walk, on a walk to the cross and created some opportunity for reflection we know that on Good Friday, what we call Good Friday, a very bad thing happened in, in the eyes of most people. Christ died, and we call it good because of what we celebrate today. And so today, we have been, as we've been on a journey to the empty tomb, today we arrive at that tomb. And I want to start in Luke chapter 23, but before we read from there, I want to ask if you would just to bow with me for a quick uh, word of prayer. Father, we celebrate today that Christ is risen indeed, and we are grateful for that promise that we've been thinking about, singing about already in the last few minutes together this morning. I pray that as we open up your word and study together, that our hearts will be laid bare and that you will speak to us, God, that you will work in us, that you'll do a resurrecting work in us so that we know as we leave here in just a minute that the resurrection happened about 2,000 years ago, and that it's still happening to this very day in our lives. God, we ask today that you'll give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see. Through the power of Jesus Christ, we pray. And the church said, amen. Luke chapter 23, the very last few verses, I'm going to begin in verse 50 to give us a little context for the first 12 verses of Luke 24, where we're going to spend most of our time. Luke writes these words, now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to the, their decision and action to kill Jesus. Jo Joseph came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. So Joseph goes to Pilate, and he asked for Jesus' body, and then he was given the body and took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in, a, in the rock 
one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment about keeping the Sabbath holy. Chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, Sunday, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. All four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, end their account of the Jesus story with this story of the resurrection. Each of them focus on different things, and they kind of approach it from different perspectives and angles. They all have different things that they emphasize, but they all have one thing in common, and that is surprise. You heard it in the version that Tim read in just a few minutes ago in John's account of the resurrection, and you hear it in this account from Luke as well. In every version of the story, the people are, that are involved are surprised. The people that are involved are filled with this sense of wonder. You hear Luke use that word wonder two times. Today, people of faith, when we talk about the resurrection, when we gather on a day like this, we, we think about and talk about the resurrection like it's not that hard to imagine. A guy was dead, lifeless, blood stopped flowing through his veins, his lungs were not taking in air, he was gone, and he came back to life. His heart started beating again. We act as if it's no surprise at all, I think, all too often, though none of us have ever seen a dead person brought back to life. In Luke's account of the story about the resurrection, he tells us that there are some unnamed women that show up early on that first Easter morning. They show up with spices and perfumes. That we learned from the last part of chapter 23 that they were, in, they were intending to use to anoint Jesus' body, fully expecting that that body was going to be in the tomb. You can hear the wonder in the story. Verse 4 says that they were puzzled. They were wondering about this. Like, isn't this... The tomb that we saw Joseph put his body in on Friday, you know, just a couple of days ago, right? Isn't this the right place? Like, did we get the wrong cemetery? We were just here Friday, and we watched Joseph of Arimathea put Jesus' body right here, right? Like, they're looking around, they're kind of, they're confused about it. Just then, two men appear, Luke says, and they ask this 
interesting question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? They went there, we understand, right, to look for the dead among the dead. They thought Jesus was dead. They, they weren't sure that he was going to be raised back to life. Don't you remember, they said, when he was with you, that he said the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and he'll have to be crucified and then on the third day that he'll be raised again. And you can see the women in their minds like, well, they're like, well, now we remember it, now that you remind us about it, you tell us about it, but we never really thought it would happen in our time. We never really thought it would happen when we would see it. See, in the ancient world, like our own world, honestly, there, there were a lot of differing views about how things would play out, how, what, what happened with life after death, a lot of opinions in, that existed about life after death. Some people believed that when you die, life just goes out like a candle. It's over. There's nothing else that exists beyond that moment. Others believed in the ancient world in a place, sometimes referred to as Hades, where departed spirits would go at death. But in Israel, a a different belief began to emerge called resurrection. We associate resurrection with Jesus, but really the idea of resurrection was around before Jesus arrived on the scene. It had been around quite a while, actually. Resurrection for Jews wasn't just something, some idea, some unclear, kind of vague, shadowy idea about the afterlife. If you believed in resurrection, you believed in a God that created the universe, and that by believing in that God that created the universe, you believed that God also intended to heal and redeem the brokenness that was in the universe. And you believed that when that happened, that God would establish justice, that God would end suffering, that God would heal creation, and most importantly, you believed. And this is why it was so important to those early Jews. You believed that the righteous dead would be brought back to life. And what I'm describing probably sounds like a lot what you believe about the resurrection. The women, though, didn't understand resurrection the way the angels were describing resurrection, the way they were speaking about it. Because everyone in the ancient world that believed in the resurrection believed that it would happen as a one-time event, a large-scale event. Everyone would be resurrected at the same time. They believed that all of God's children at once, when it happened, it would happen together, and when it happened, it would end history. It would be the end of the story of the world. And because of this, no one in Israel would have ever thought it possible that one individual would have been resurrected right in the middle of the story. See, Jesus' followers believed that he was the Messiah. And he, they, because they believed he was the Messiah, they believed that he was going to be their king. We talked about that last week. And we believed that as king, he would overthrow Rome, and, and overthrowing Rome would usher in God's kingdom. But then Jesus died on Good Friday. When this happened even though Jesus had been talking about it, right? No one said in the first century, everything is now going according to our plan. Jesus died. No one said everything is going according to our plan. No, they were devastated. From their perspective, nothing was going according to their plan. So the women stand there in Luke 24 trying to figure this out, trying to think through it all, trying to wrap their minds around what in the world is going on. 
Why do you look for the living among the dead, they hear, as they're standing there confused, wondering to themselves. Why do you look for the living among the dead? The logical answer to that question is because he's dead. That's why we're looking for, the, for the, this dead man among the dead. Don't you remember how he told you? Yes, yes, they say, now we do remember. They remember the meals and they remember the healings. And they remember the life that broke out in every town as Jesus walked from town to town and they followed him, committing and surrendering their lives to him. Yes, they remember what he said. Yes, they remember how their own lives had forever changed. Certainly we know about Mary Magdalene. And these demons that had been cast out of her and she surrendered her life to Jesus, how could they forget? So they start to walk back home. And when they get home, they begin to tell the disciples and the, the, these guys think the women are making everything up. They don't believe a thing that they're saying. I think that they didn't believe what they were saying because sometimes it can be hard to communicate something that amazes you, something that fills you with awe, fills you with wonder. Right? They had just witnessed on Friday a guy putting a body in a tomb. And they come back on Sunday and the stone is out from in front of the tomb and they walk, and there's no body where they had seen a body just a couple of days before. If you've never been to the Grand Canyon, no amount of description on my part today could give you the feeling that one has when they stand at the Grand Canyon taking in the, the scene that lays out you know, before you that fills you with awe, that fills you with wonder. If you've never summited a mountain and seen out across the, the tops of other mountain peaks, no amount of description on my part this morning will adequately describe to you what it's like to stand on that place and see what, what people see when they stand in those locations because you have to see it for yourself. And I think this is why Peter takes off running. Peter thinks the ladies might be talking nonsense, but he wants to make sure it's nonsense for himself. And soon as he arrives and looks inside and sees the grave clothes lying there, Luke tells us that he went away. Did you notice it? Filled with wonder, wondering to himself. If Luke had been making this story up, as some people have suggested through the years, he would not have included two details in the story we've just read. Number one, he would have never had women be the first witnesses to the resurrection because unfortunately in that day and time, women were not considered credible witnesses. And the second thing that he would have never done is he would have, if he was making this up, if this was all kind of a created story, right, just to make people feel good, he would have made sure to write the story in such a way so that the disciples, when they heard these women say that the tomb is empty, the body's not there, that the disciples respond with immediate faith immediate belief that what these women are saying is true. He could have written a response that had the disciples hearing the news and responding kind of as this model picture of faith so that we would like know, right? Oh, that's what it looks like. You hear something and you just believe it instantly. But he wrote it this way, Luke did, because it happened this way. And I want to propose this morning that he wrote it this way and that it happened this way because maybe faith actually looks like this and not like what sometimes we imagine that it looks like. That you just hear and instantly believe without questioning, without wrestling with it, without having some doubts, without being confused, without 
being filled with wonder. I like that it happened this way, honestly. And I like the disciples and the women that were these very first eyewitnesses to a body coming back to life. The very first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. I love that they reacted the way that they did. Why do I like the way they reacted the way they did? I like the way they reacted because I see myself in them. I see my reaction to resurrection in their reaction to resurrection. I see your reaction to resurrection in their reaction to resurrection. Surprised and filled with wonder. Because I think that's the way that most everyone responds to resurrection, isn't it? We're so familiar with death and the things of death. We know the ways of loss and pain and heartache. And we know what those things feel like because we're familiar with the ways of death. The death of people we love, the death of a dream, the death of a marriage, the death of a career that you dreamed about, the death of whatever future you thought you had imagined for yourself that is now not your reality, the death of the hope that he or she would fall in love with you, the death of your health, the death of that relationship that meant so much to you. Death looks like struggle and grief and loss and tragedy and disappointment. And our world is saturated in death. Everywhere you look, it's death around every corner. The day that you lost hope that your situation or your circumstance would ever change felt like death to you. And because we know these things so well, friends, when resurrection does happen, when new life does break out, when hope seems to not be completely lost, we can be caught off guard can be amazed. You might even say we could be filled with wonder. When bad things happen, very rarely do you ever, if ever, hear anyone say, everything is now going according to my plan. No, we grieve and we ache and we hurt and we worry and we wonder to ourselves as we scratch our heads standing outside of whatever tomb that we are now encountering. How is this going to get better? How is this going to improve, this death that I feel today? Why does it matter on this Easter or any Easter that Jesus rose from the grave? Why does it matter that the story doesn't end in death? It matters because even when we feel like death has gotten the last word in our lives, we always must remember That what was released into the world on that first Easter Sunday was hope. As those women encounter that tomb, they have this thought, maybe somebody's taking the body, what in the world is going on? But I have to believe in their heart as they ran back to tell those disciples, what they also were holding on to is, man, maybe it's actually true. And then the angels confirm it. Didn't you, don't you remember what he said? Oh, now, now, now we remember What was released into the world on that first Easter Sunday was hope. And this hope, church, did not always promise and doesn't still to this day always promise that life will turn out the way that we planned. But what this hope did do then and continues to do today is promise that the cross did not stick. It promises us that the cross does not get the last word. 
And that when we experience death in this life, it is not the end ever in Christ Jesus. Sometimes when you arrive at low points in your life, you wonder how things could possibly get better. You feel fear and anxiety, maybe that they won't work out. And the resurrection story reminds us that a lot can happen in three days. And maybe your situation isn't going to be resolved in three days. It might require waiting longer than three days. It might take years. But even then, the empty tomb promises that no matter how dark things get in this life, Christ says that there is always hope. If we have eyes to see it, resurrection happens all around us. Spring happens every year. The ground comes back to life. The trees come back to life. The birds begin singing again. It's one of the reasons that spring is my favorite season because I don't know about you, but after winter, I am done. And I need some hope. I need some sunshine. I need some birds. I need some green, right? Every year, resurrection breaks out in the spring. Every day, dawn comes in the morning after the time of darkness has set in. Resurrection happens every time love happens as a result of something that's been done to create hate or done out of hate. Resurrection happens every time something that was bad for you at one time, you can now see on this side of it was actually an invitation to you to step into a new kind of life. People do die and leave us. Depression does take place. Friends do desert us. Businesses do crumble. Jobs are lost. Love does dry up and disappear. Careers don't always turn out like you thought that they would. Life doesn't always happen. Evil does exist. Disease will set in. But through it all, we stand at the empty tomb, confident as we look in and see that a body is not there, that somehow God will make sense of whatever death that we currently stand in. Confident that God, who is faithful, will sustain us in the darkness and death one more time. This story in Luke 24 ends like this. I'm going to read from the message version of the the last part of Luke 24, where Luke says, Jesus led them out of the city after they've seen him and they've encountered him. They've spent some time with him. He led them out of the city over to Bethany, the city of Bethany. Raising his hands, he blessed them, and while blessing them, took his leave and was carried up into heaven. And they were on their knees worshiping him, and they returned to Jerusalem, bursting with joy. The same 11 disciples that were once so perplexed that they did, by the resurrection that they did not believe the women who had seen the tomb, who had come and reported that the tomb was empty, are now standing with Jesus. They were, they were wondering, right, at one point, how this was all going to work out trying to make sense of what they were hearing these women say and what had just happened in their lives. Luke tells us at the end of the story, as Jesus returns to the Father and later on sends his Holy Spirit to be with us forever, that they returned to Jerusalem, bursting with joy and filled with joy. In the first story, in the very beginning of the Bible, God creates the world, and now, In Luke 24, at this moment in history, in the resurrection, God who created in the garden at the beginning of the story, through the the resurrection, is creating again. 
taking our pain, taking our struggle, taking our suffering, taking our disappointment, taking our loss into himself on the cross and bringing about new life through his death, allowing us to go on our way, bursting with joy, announcing that the tomb is empty. And today, may the truth of Christ being risen from the dead fill you with wonder. May it fill you possibly for the first time. If you're familiar with the story and you've heard it so much that you already knew what the sermon was going to be about and you're not surprised by it, may you be filled again. And may it give you hope to endure whatever it is that you are currently enduring or whatever it is that you will endure in the near future because we will all endure something. May the empty tomb remind you today that death and sin do not get the last word in this life for those in Christ Jesus. And may you be drawn to Christ today as we remember the angel's words to you. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Don't you remember what he said when he was still with you? He is not here. He has risen. And yes, we say now we remember with the women. Now we remember with the disciples. Now we remember he is not here. He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the promise that that tomb is empty and that whatever death we now see and experience in this life or in the world, we know does not have the last word in Christ. That there is a day coming, God, when you will wrong, you'll make right every wrong, that you will, you will cure every disease, that you will heal this entire world. We believe in the resurrection today. We say together, Father, we believe that that tomb is empty, and we believe that that tomb being empty changes our reality from this point forward, that whatever we experience in this life, good or bad, we can go on our way bursting with joy, full of hope, knowing, knowing that Christ walked out of that tomb. We pray like the women that first discovered that empty tomb, that as we head back into our lives, we will hold on to that hope and we will hold on to that joy as death inevitably attempts to steal it from us. We pray that we'll hold on tightly. Through the powerful name of the resurrected Christ, we pray. And the church said this morning, amen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. This morning, I want to ask you to stand. We want to provide a time uh, to respond to God in whatever way you may need to respond to God. It may be that you want uh, to receive prayer, and I'll be down here willing to pray with you. There'll be a shepherd in the back. We always encourage people to find people around them. If you brought some sort of death in the doors with you this morning and you would love to have someone pray with you, encourage you to not leave this morning unless someone has the opportunity to do that, find somebody around you as we sing this next song and ask them if they would pray over you. However you need to respond to God, let's do that as we sing this song together. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, 
just as I am and waiting to rid my soul of one dark blot to can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, I come broken to be mended, I come wounded to be I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcome with open arms. Praise God. Just as I am, just as I am, I would be lost. But mercy and grace, my freedom bought, and now to glory in your cross, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, I come broken to be mended, I come wounded, to be healed, I come desperate to be rescued, I come empty to be filled, I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb, and I'm welcomed with open arms, praise God, just as I am. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ And I'm welcome with 